The news is that it's the two-year anniversary of the History Behind News podcast. I had a program in the mid-90s called Line Break, which was the first program to use the internet as a way of distributing audio content, distributing radio programs to public radio stations around the U.S. It wasn't really um, until... Uh, 2005, 2006, that things got a little bit different. So your listeners may not know, but Twitter was originally born as a kind of podcast platform. Come on, really? Yeah, it was designed for audio messages. In 2014, a couple of really key things came together. First was that Apple on its new iPhones built into the operating system a podcast app. That's the that's the first really big thing. The other big thing is a kind of huge innovation and leap forward in the concept of podcasting and in podcasting content. So in 2014, the huge podcast serial broke. For me, the most startling wow moments was the the wow moment around intimacy. Um, explore audio formats and explore um, how they could shine light on on really authentic and deeply felt human experiences in new ways. So Radio Lab, The Heart, My Dad Wrote a Porno. Um, uh, that's a podcast? My Dad Wrote that's a Porno? A, yeah, that's a huge one. Uh, it's hugely famous. Whereas radio can suggest and allude to things podcasting is full frontal there are no holds barred in podcasting there is no one looking over your shoulder there are no censors there are no gatekeepers there are no commissioning editors there are no people telling you what you can't say and what you can't do people like neil young said look spotify unless you put a muzzle on joe rogan I'm taking all my music off of Spotify. So Neil Young took his music off of Spotify because Spotify didn't or couldn't or wouldn't muzzle Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan is a huge cash cow for them. There has been this shift to what I call a a new, new journalism, a more human journalism. Um, And I think that is a direct result of podcasting. I think The biggest change that I hear is I hear now on BBC programs and NPR programs that are ostensibly news programs, they are coming to my ears to sound more like podcasting. Podcasts are not about a distribution technology. They're not even about sound. They are about a set of relationships. Did you know? that there are about 75 million podcast episodes, and depending on how you count it, between 5 to 6 million podcast shows. And if you're wondering whether or not that audio program you were listening to recently was originally produced as a podcast, or say, a radio program, not to worry, my guest shares 11 podcast traits that help you answer that question. And there's more. He'll give us the three essential elements of a successful podcast. And believe you me, I was taking lots of notes here. Hey there, news peelers. Today is January 20, 2023. And this is Adele, the host of the History Behind News podcast.
Once a week, I have the pleasure of speaking with distinguished professors and critically acclaimed authors from around the world who help us better understand our news and current events by providing some perspective from our past. We call this peeling the history behind news, the histories of many countries we read, watch, and hear about in our news media. For example, whole series on Ukraine's, Iran's, Russia's, and China's histories. And of course, several series on the US economy, culture, politics, environment, science, and much more. I'm committed to making in-depth history that are researched and written by scholars, enjoyable and accessible to everyone. So grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and let's get into it. At the History Behind News podcast, we peel the history behind political, legal, cultural, environmental, and scientific news. But at the two-year mark of my podcast program, I had to pause and think about how we got here. And I don't mean just me. I know how my passion in history turned into the History Behind News podcast. What I mean and what I want to find out is much broader. For example, how did podcasting become a thing? How and when did podcasting morph out of its super geeky and techy origins into this huge, super cool mainstream phenomenon? And how is a podcast different than, say, a radio program that's just uploaded onto the internet and then called a podcast? And finally, what makes for a good podcast? Yeah, I know. I was dying to hear this one too. To get answers to all these questions, I spoke with Dr. Martin Spinelli, professor of podcasting and creative media at the University of Sussex in Brighton, the United Kingdom. He's lead editor of the Bloomsbury Podcast Studies book series, co-host and executive producer of the podcast For Your Eyes Only, and writer and executive producer on the recently released adolescent emotional well-being sci-fi podcast drama, The Res. His benchmark radio art series, Radio Radio and Lime Breaker, are included in the permanent collection of the Museum of Television and Radio in New York. He's the co-author of a groundbreaking 2019 book titled Podcasting, the Audio Media Revolution, which we discuss in this episode. To learn more about Dr. Spinelli, you can visit his academic homepage, the link for which is provided in the detailed caption of this episode, where I have also included an Amazon link to his 2019 book, Podcasting. So, stay with me as Dr. Spinelli and I peel the history behind this news. Dr. Spinelli, it's a pleasure to have you on our program. Thank you for taking the time for this conversation with me. So let's start with the very basics here. <laughs> what does the word podcast mean? So podcasting, the word podcast came into English in 2004. And it was coined by a writer in The Guardian called Ben Hammersley, who created a portmanteau, a combination of words. He combined iPod with broadcasting and oh. podcasting. So not not many uh, uh, Gen Z listeners or even many millennial listeners will remember what an iPod was. But an iPod was the <laughs> thing we listened to music on before we had phones. That's right. And I had an iPod and my wife had an iPod. Um, and we don't know where it is anymore in the house. <laughs> I've uh, still got mine somewhere. But... 
did podcasts have a, a different name prior to being called podcasts? Wow. Um, there were a lot of different ways of thinking about internet audio, audio delivered on the internet before podcasting was a thing before 2004. Um, the, the kind of the standard usual history of them starts in 1999 and 2000, uh, with RSS feeds when people are mm -hmm. RSS feeds. So that's RDF site summaries or rich site summaries or more colloquially these days, really simple syndication scripts. Um, so in very basic language, that's code that allows updates to databases and websites to be pushed to people who subscribe to those. So subscribing to an RSS feed on your phone means that you're monitoring the site or you're monitoring a, monitoring a podcast channel and you get new content when it appears. So new yeah. episodes um, uh, mean new notifications on your phone or a new file that's downloaded. And um, and every podcast has its own RSS feed like ours. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and sort of that's the sort of accepted historical narrative, at least in the US, that in 2004, RSS fees, which were used previously for text, were first used to push audio content. Now, obviously, there existed lots of different ways and lots of different reasons for distributing audio over the internet before then. Two questions um, out of what you just shared. What do you say, at least in the U.S., uh, when you were talking about uh, RSS feed 1999-2000, was there a different sort of uh, protocol in other countries? Um, yes, there were lots of people experimenting with different kinds of blogging and updates to blogs and updates to websites and delivering audio through updates in different countries. And different countries, it won't surprise you, um, have different histories of podcasting. So the Russians claim to have invented it. There's a French claim to have invented it. Um, uh, you mean podcasting is not an American thing through and through? <laughs> I think I think it's fair. I think it's fair to say it's a, an American thing through and through. Now it has certainly become an American thing, and I think for most of its history, most of the podcasting energy in the world was probably located in the U.S. But there are there are competing histories to be told. So, if does that history go prior to 1999, 2000? Because podcast has to be. Or any sort of this voice blogging, voice narrative has to be connected to the internet, right? It's not like yeah. you can go back to the eighties or anything. Yeah, um, no, but but there are lots of. I mean, it, it depends on how you how you want to define a podcast. So, um, uh, I had a program in the mid nineties called Line Break, which was the first program to use the internet as a way of distributing audio content, distributing radio programs to public radio stations around the U around the US using the internet. So this was before MP3 files were a thing. We were distributing WAV files to stations to download and to play in their schedules this series that 
I was producing in Buffalo called Line Break. And uh, it, was the, it was the first one to figure out a way around the rather cumbersome and very expensive public radio satellite system for distributing programs. So it really all depends on how you, how you define what a podcast is. If you're defining what a podcast is based on the simple technology of the RSS feeds, then that RSS feeds were a thing at the turn of the millennium, and they were first really used for audio in 2004. But I don't think that defining podcasts simply by the distribution technology is very sophisticated. And I don't necessarily subscribe to this idea that um, you need an RSS feed to be a podcast or you did need an RSS feed to be a podcast. Because I think there is going to come a time, probably very soon, where RSS feeds are no longer in play, but we're still going to have podcasts. That's true. Um, with respect to your comment that you were working on uh, voice programs, but let's just call it podcasts in the 90s. You must have done this in your single digits because you don't look that old. I mean, the mid nineties. Wow, um, that's that's my first sort of uh, humbling. That's very kind of you. I was I was a PhD student at SUNY Buffalo, and uh, and I was in my twenties. The second uh, comment I have about that is that just to clarify that voice programming that you were working on was not for public consumption you were sharing that with other distributors radio stations right it's kind of no, like it was it was for it was for public consumption so it was instead of mailing a radio station a cd or instead of having them program their satellite receiver to pick up my program when it went over the public radio satellite i said you can find my programs on this website and if you have a big enough connection, you can download the .wav files and then broadcast them on your radio station. So they were; it was a way of getting programming out to stations that would then get it out to people who would listen. But uh, people, the public, couldn't directly listen to your program. They had you to could, listen you, through. You could no. You oh, could, you, you could. could. Oh, that's right. Because there you was put nothing it on... to stop anybody from downloading the .wav file. I see. Because uh, you put it on the then, internet. Yeah, exactly. But back then, see, you know, yeah. unless you had an institutional connection, you know, your 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 dial-up modem was going to take <laughs> eight hours to download my forty-five. I remember program. that. So, or my half-hour program. So, yeah. So, you know, it, you needed an institutional connection of some kind to make that kind of distribution. Yeah. So, but all this, all this, by way of saying, um, uh the the origins of podcasting are contested and you know there's there's a kind of established story um uh in certainly in america that holds sway that most people um sign up to that the first podcast was uh a project from adam curry who was an mtv dj uh vj uh in 2004 yeah. and he did it with um uh with dave weiner um they had the show called the daily source code and adam curry's pod show um uh they they're the ones who um who often get attributed with having the first podcast i don't think that's true i don't think you can kind of act accurately confidently say that because there were other people who were doing similar things and christopher lyden who was working on the sort of peripheries of npr in 2003 was integrating mp3 files into his blogs um and there were lots of other 
proto podcasts. Sports teams were making audio recordings and of their games, of the play by play of their games, and making them available on their website. Um, and uh, and it was it was fertile ground. But uh, the reason why we often kind of Adam Curry's name gets mentioned uh, mm-hmm, is because mm-hmm. he was a celebrity at the time, and he was yeah. he was the first kind of person of of public profile to kind of do this. So um, it's, it's easier to think of him and Dave, Dave Weiner as uh, Dave Weiner as, um, as doing the, uh, the first podcast. Was president George W. Bush an intrepid <laughs> an early podcaster. I've seen his name come up. I mean, obviously it wasn't him. It was the white house. So yeah, he did have a podcast uh, uh, as such, but it was, it was more of a, of a vehicle for recordings, audio recordings of press conferences and speeches that he gave in the white house. So it wasn't really them kind of constructing a podcast, thinking about how podcasting might be a a distinctive form of audio communication. Uh, It was really just a way to recycle content that was going out there. In other words, in, in other ways, it was, it was part of a, part of a PR apparatus. Yeah. In the beginning, um, what made podcasts unique as opposed to radio? And I'll use your phrase. You just said distinctive forms of audio communication. So how are podcasts different than radio? And we'll compare it to now, but let's start, go back to the early years. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, that is really the subject of my book, the book that I wrote with Lance Stan called Podcasting the Audio Media Revolution. Um, Don't go there. We're going to get to that book. I have a whole okay. segment okay. on that. I'm okay. excited yeah, so, to talk to you about that yeah, book. Yeah. Okay. But go ahead, so, please. So that in the early days, how how was podcasting different from other kinds of audio medium media? Well, I think it largely had to do with the kinds of content um, that were being produced. Um, like what? Uh, so they were mostly sort of techy, geeky, um, uh, technology and media communications shows. Mm-hmm. So um, they were shows that were listened to by early communications technology adopters, early digital adopters. Um, they didn't really have a very mainstream presence. There were a lot of business shows that were associated with business schools, for example. Um, and it, it wasn't really um, until uh, 2005, 2006 that things got a little bit different. So your listeners may not know, but Twitter was originally born as a kind of podcast platform. Come on, really? Yeah. It was designed for audio messages to distribute short audio messages rather than text. So the the first versions of Twitter, um, uh, as it was transitioning from the company Odeo into Twitter, that is the Twitter. Actually, it makes sense. Tweet, Twitter, you know, yeah. Audio, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, um, uh, so... You know, it, there was a kind of gee whiz element. Look what we can do. Isn't this amazing? Um, you know, we can make audio appear yeah. on your device or on your phone. The content really wasn't thought about. The ways of connecting with an audience really weren't thought about in any great detail. Um, but uh, um, there were a lot of people who were playing with the technology, playing with the coding, playing with the dist- distribution technology. And, you know, as with as with any communications technology as with any new emergent 
medium, there's a period of experimentation at the beginning where we figure out what this thing can do, where we figure out what it's used for. It moves from the lab into the real world and, and people try and play with it and tease it yeah. and poke it and prod it and see what it can do. I'm wondering what uh, Twitter as an audio social media would be like and what elon musk would have sounded like um, very loud and angry yes. exactly even adding more fuel to the his controversies um yeah. now let's fast forward to now uh, i'm wondering what's the distinction now between a podcast and a radio program okay. and and so, let me explain I'll, I'll give a couple of examples i think i may have actually shared these examples uh, uh in a prior communication with you the, how's a podcast for example different than npr's fresh air program with terry gross or you're in the uk bbc's news hour they're produced as radio shows but then uploaded to the internet and they become voila <laughs> a podcast so yeah. what's the difference so I, there there are tons and tons of uh of programs tons of content like this certainly that are uh certainly in name podcasts there there you know there are tons of clips from Trevor Noah and Samantha B their TV mm -hmm. shows on YouTube right mm -hmm. um but they weren't designed and produced primarily for YouTube they were designed and produced primarily for distribution on TV yeah um, they have a different way about thinking about their audiences and the same is true of the BBC and NPR programs that end up in podcast feed format they were born with a different set of relationships are born uh, with a different conception of their audience, thinking of the audience more in a mass way. Um, and the, the kind of relationships that you have with your audience and the way you work with those relationships, that's the thing that I think really marks you as podcasting or not. So there are, Interesting. There are other, yeah. and there are other traits. So there, you know, there are, there are, you know, clear traits that you can arrange in different constellations that help you kind of really feel your way around whether or not something is a podcast or not. So I, I have come up with 11 traits. You know, podcasts are intimate, they're mobile, there's more user control, they are push-pull, they're niche, they're, they have this native integration into social media, there's more freedom, they're funded by freemium economics, they're evergreen, they're changeable, there's no yeah. clock or schedule. All of these things you, you, you can say in some small measure maybe about radio, but when you put them all together and when you really emphasize them, that's when they become a podcast. It's kind of a revolution uh, um, against radio, if you will. Uh, we'll be right back after a short break to talk about what I just said, a podcasting revolution. I want to take a moment here and thank our listeners and supporters. More than a quarter of our audience are enthusiast followers, which means that you listen to episodes soon after they are published and that you share it with friends and family. So thank you for both. Based on this, the History Behind News podcast is in the top 15% most followed podcasts. I still have a long way to go for sure, but this is hugely exciting and I'll take it. Also, based on our last count, the History Behind News podcast is now listened to in 37 countries. By the way, one last point, which I think is super cool and I'm proud of. Several universities now use the specific episodes of the History Behind News podcast as a teaching supplement for their students. Of course, I'm honored and just love it. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, then please consider supporting us. You can do so for as little as $1 a month by clicking the support link in the detailed caption of this episode. So enough of the History Behind News podcast. Let's get back to our conversation with Dr. Spinelli about the history of podcasting. Dr. Spinelli, just a couple of years ago, you wrote a book titled Podcasting, the Audio Media Revolution. Tell us about this book, please. And in particular, I'm excited to learn why you use the word revolution in your title. That that word carries a lot of weight. It's not to be trifled with, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it definitely was in 2014, 2015, 2016, a revolution. So the book Podcasting the Audio Media Revolution started with me and my research and creative partner, Lance Dan, who uh, had been working together on a number of things over the years. And at that time, you know, we were both kind of on the peripheries of podcasting. We sort of dipped in and and um, uh, knew what they were and listened to a few of them. We weren't really taking them seriously. And we were both working when we were working in audio in radio mostly rather than in podcasting but in 2014 a couple of really key things came together first was that apple on its new iphones built into the operating system a podcast app so previously if you wanted to listen to a podcast you had to download an app set it up subscribe to the feeds that you wanted and then you would listen but in 2014 when you bought a new iPhone, it came with a podcast app. That's the that's the first really big thing. The other big thing is a kind of huge innovation and leap forward in the concept of podcasting and in podcasting content. So in 2014, the huge podcast serial broke. And I came to this. Its title was Serial, right? Yeah, its title was Serial. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, a, a production from uh, WBEZ in Chicago, which was under the umbrella of This American Life. I had seen a couple of newspaper stories about it, read a couple of newspaper stories. But in the autumn of 2014, I was at a an award ceremony at the Reuters New Jay at the Reuters news agency headquarters on the Thames in London. Uh, it was a, an award ceremony for young journalists. And I had a couple of students there who were in the running for some awards. Um, oh, wonderful. Yeah, it was a really lovely, it was a really lovely moment. And in the lobby before the ceremony started, there were a bunch of little tables, there were drinks being served. And I kind of wandered around from table to table with all of these young people, all these young uh, audio producers. And I was asking them what they were listening to, what, what kinds of things you were finding exciting at this particular moment in time. And table after table after table told me cereal. Oh, I love Sarah. So amazing. I can't not listen. I love Sarah Koenig. I love what she does. She really kind of gets into my head in a way that I I never would have expected. I want to make, I want to make podcasts just like her. I want to make audio just like her. And like, they were describing this story of Adnan Syed and Heyman Lee and a murder that happened in 1999 in a high school in Baltimore um, and how invested they were in the characters. And I thought, wow, this is a reaction that I didn't expect, a kind of a level of reaction that um, I thought really kind of needed to be understood and taken seriously. So, They're like fans. They were fans, exactly. So I, I went home. 
and I downloaded all the available episodes of Serial, and the next day I binge listened. And it it was a kind <laughs> of revelation to me uh, of how to marry really, really, really sophisticated storytelling concepts, ideas, and structures with a true crime reportage documentary project. Um, and I was blown away like so many people. So this Wow, and now I got to listen to it. No, if you haven't listened, yeah. you have to. You have to listen. The first season, especially, is 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 the really revolutionary moment. Okay. So, um, when when Lance and I um, discovered Serial, when Serial was first being distributed, um, uh, we were both struck by it, and we were both ready to take this thing seriously. Um, we were looking around at other books that were published about podcasting. Most of them were about monetizing podcasts or producing podcasts. Um, none of them were what I would call really substantive. Um, and what we wanted to do was we wanted to point what to, we wanted to uncover, discover, and point to what was new and exciting and different in the podcast format. What could it do? What affordances did it have that other media didn't have? And you know, there are plenty of very smart people then and now who still see podcasting as merely an extension of radio. Um, but that was not the hill that we wanted to plant our flag on. We wanted to describe it as something new because we felt it was new, particularly in the way it engaged with its audience. What do you define as cultural mainstream in the context of podcasting? Is it that is it, is, it, is it the moment where podcast podcasting goes beyond is sort of geeky era of what you were talking about sort of tech and media and biz uh audio files to storytelling like serial is that what you're yeah. referring to yeah i think I, I think absolutely i think um you know now we are definitely in an era of where podcasting is mainstream where if you look at Edison research data, um, at least more than 50% of Americans have listened to a podcast recently. Um, most people know what a podcast is. Uh, a huge majority of some demographics listen to five, six, eight, 10, 12 podcasts a week. Yeah. So um, yeah. it's, it's now, it is, it is now no longer a sort of, um, a geeky thing it's no longer um defined by niche ideas it's no longer defined by um uh tech things or business things um uh but back then it was kind of before this moment the podcast content was pretty much there but it was there for quite niche audiences yeah um uh or audiences that were extremely committed to particular concepts or ideas so you had kind of techie experiments business experiments you had people who were really committed there were a lot of religious podcasts at the time and in fact a uh, huge number of religious podcasts remain incredibly popular uh in 2023 yeah christian programs i've come across a lot of them um yeah um you've enjoyed a successful career in podcasting and broadcasting so for all intents and purposes it seems to me that you could have written this book from your own knowledge and experience yet you took the time to interview other producers, some of which are like, you know, our producers are the most popular and culturally significant podcasts up to that time, 2019, when you wrote your book. 
all of this explanation is for me to ask the following question. I'm wondering, did you learn anything from these interviews that were that was new to you? Were you surprised as you were conducting this research for the book? Did you have wow moments? Well, I had lots of wow moments, and I, I knew going in, you know, that uh, um, I'm 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 a good student. I study hard. I'm very conscientious. <laughs> good. And I don't I don't fake it, right? So I knew going in how much I didn't know, right? Um, so I wanted to I wanted to discover what was new and distinctive and unique about podcasting as an audio form, um, and. I knew these people out there and I had them in my professional networks and my radio networks who were doing great things in podcasting. So I thought, you know, it absolutely makes sense for me to go and to talk to them. Um, you know, Lance and I both were really committed to exploring the best creative practice in podcasting. Um, uh, and and we knew these people were doing things on the cutting edge, doing things in, in interesting ways, doing things in ways that we hadn't even thought of. Um, and there was a lot to learn from them. So that goes back to that uh, list of 11 traits that I mentioned yeah. earlier. Those 11 traits came out largely of those interviews with the best podcasters. So we interviewed the 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 podcasters, the producers, um, uh, and the presenters of the best, most listened to, most culturally significant podcasts from 2014 up to 2018. So Radio Lab, The Heart, My Dad Wrote a Porno, um, uh, that's a podcast. My dad wrote a, a porno. Big, yeah, that's a huge one. <laughs> uh, it's hugely famous. Um, uh, distraction pieces. Um, uh, Welcome to Night Vale. Serial. Um, uh, Reply all. Um, all of these really, really the heart, all these really, really benchmark uh, podcasters. Um, uh, and for me, the most startling wow moments was the the wow moment around intimacy. Um, and particularly in my conversations with Caitlin Prest, who's one half of the, the production team of The Heart, which is an incredibly great podcast. Um, so Caitlin Prest and Mitra and Mitra Kaboli produced the, the podcast, The Heart. It's gone through several seasons. I think there's some, some new episodes, in fact, percolating right now. Um, I, I really didn't know you could do things like they did in the audio format. And I think The Heart gave people, gave a lot of people permission to explore, um, explore audio formats and explore um, how they could shine light on, on really authentic and deeply felt human experiences in new ways. And similarly in serial, you know, I learned a lot about what journalism could be. I learned that it could do something different from what I was accustomed to hearing on the BBC and NPR. There was, there was a ton of stuff to learn. Do you think uh, podcasting has evolved since 2019 when you wrote the book? Are there new aspects of podcasting that you listen to or you read about and you go, wow? Yeah, I think I think we've really, I think first of all, what's what's happened is a, a kind of a broad acceptance of what I think of as the definition for podcasts. So a podcast is episodic audio content produced primarily for distribution over the internet mm -hmm. and produced to be consumed primarily 
on mobile devices, which often implies earbuds. Yeah. Um, so I think people now understand that, you know, you were talking before about, uh, you know, I can just take an NPR program and stick it on the web and call it a podcast. And yes, you yeah. can. Um, but I think people are now more discerning than when the book came out in 2019. I think there are other things that have happened as well. I think th some changes haven't been so good. I think podcasts, especially the ones that get the most attention, are celebrity-driven often. I think we were also seeing platforms taking over. Um, we have more and more work and thought put into monetizing podcasts and more experiments with paywall content. Um, and also uh, some good new kind of uh, money-related aspects. So there's new and more energy behind grassroots funding streams for podcasts. I think the other thing is that uh, genres now are much more clearly defined. Yeah, like history. Podcasts. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that is a genre, whereas five or six years ago probably wasn't the genre. And also the, the other thing that we, we, we sort of talked around is way more people are listening. It is, mm -hmm. it is just on people's radar in a way that it wasn't um, uh, four years ago when the book came out. I think the um, uh, social distancing and lockdowns of COVID probably contributed to podcast uh, consumption as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think um, the big, the big winner from the lockdown was definitely, definitely podcasting. I think, you know, things like YouTube and Netflix um, uh, had had a moment as well, but they didn't grow nearly as fast yeah. as podcasting did. And I think the lockdown, you know, for all of the pain and difficulty and uh, trauma it caused people was a great thing for podcasting. We'll be back after a short break to talk about the cultural impacts of podcasts. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. And if you are, then why not treat us to a cup of coffee? That's right. For the price of a cup of coffee, you too can become a monthly supporter of the History Behind News podcast. We rely on your support to continue this program, to continue peeling the history behind our news. Supporting us is easy. Just click the support link in the detailed caption of this episode. And while you're there, check out the information about our guests and other attributions and links. And thank you. Dr. Spinelli, you've used the term intimacy several times in the prior two segments. And in your writings, you talk about intimacy, empathy, and narcissism. How are these terms related to podcasting? That's a really great question, uh, and and one of my favorite questions around podcasting because I think this is the this is the main event really. Um, so, whereas radio can suggest and allude to things. Podcasting is full frontal. There are no holds barred in podcasting. There is no one looking over your shoulder. There are no censors. There are no gatekeepers. There are no commissioning editors. There are no people telling you what you can't say and what you can't do. Um, and this has led to a, a lot of things, but it's also led to a lot of very, very intimate, very, very significant and substantial new forms of human connection 
through your ears. So when can you, you give about, an example of that? That's 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 pretty powerful, sure. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So um uh in podcast form, I think we mentioned the heart. The heart is a really, really excellent example of uh of that kind of intimacy. But like if I'm gonna map it specifically, mm-hmm. um many studies of podcasting show that most people listen now on earbuds. So earbuds are not even like the headphones that you and I are wearing right now to do this interview. They're actually in your ear canal. They're inside your body. They're um, in your body. Really, yeah. really intimate way of listening that has a different set of affordances, a different way of connecting with you. Um, uh, then, then if you're listening in a car, if you're listening on a speaker, um, it is really close and one-to-one. Your voice is in my body when I am listening to you on a podcast. And a lot of people uh, have experimented with that in really, really brilliant ways. Um, one of the one of the other things that I think about when, when I'm talking about empathy and intimacy in podcasting are listening practices. So on a lot of really great podcasts, like Love and Radio, for example, we hear listening in action. The host is listening in a particular way, in a particularly empathetic way um, that is there as an example for maybe how we might listen. And as I mentioned, Love and Radio, the the kind of the the episode that always comes into my mind from Love and Radio, that mm-hmm. is such a great example for this kind of listening, is called Silver Dollar. Um, it's about a really, really deep human connection through listening. And it's also about um, about racism and figuring out a way to listen to racism in such a way that it goes away. Um this sounds less like programming and more like personal connection. That that is absolutely true. Um, and uh, yeah, so another another um, another love and radio episode that's really really good for talking about empathy is an episode called Red Dot. Um, and as this episode, quite a lengthy episode unfolds, it's, it's a sort of single person storyteller. This guy has had this terrible thing happen to him, and he's telling his story about um, assaults and uh, and bigotry and violence against him. And you are being invited by the producers to feel empathy for the speaker. But over the course of the next half hour, it it's revealed very gently that the guy who's speaking is actually quite a horrific pedophile and they have orchestrated this empathy around him in a way that at the end of the show is sort of a rebuke of this kind of podcast empathy. It's a sort of check on it. It's a kind of reminder to, um, to not, uh, to not let yourself be carried away uncritically too often, too much of the time. Um, Look deeper. Yeah, exactly. That that's also a really good. Uh, a really you are good such a good salesperson for this podcast, Love and Radio. <laughs> the episode yeah. is Red Dot. I can't wait yeah, to yeah, listen. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like I can go ahead, go ahead, please. No, no, I just want to kind of chip in on narcissism as well. So, oh like, yeah, uh, yeah. So narcissism, talking about ourselves. You know that that like sounds like what podcasting is all about, right? Just this kind of relentless self promotion. And I think you know, for for you and me, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take a wild guess and categorize you as a. Gen- 
Gen Xer like me, you know, I'm often prone to uh, <laughs> categorizing millennials and Gen Z types as narcissistic. And that's mostly to do with what I see them do on social media, this yeah. kind of constant and relentless profile building, promoting of themselves. Um, but there are podcasts that, that, short circuit that and and kind of renegotiate that in really really interesting ways there's one called podium.me that's by young people for young people that undermine a lot of these kind of uh criticisms around narcissism and healthy ways of expressing yourself on social media and on podcasting give me an example of that I, you know do you do you reveal your uh insecurities your vulnerabilities is that what they do it's it's mostly podium.me is mostly an opportunity for young people to express themselves in their own terms in a way that's quite different from the way they're often categorized or characterized in mainstream media so it was born in the wake of the london riots in 2011 yeah um when the coverage bbc and independent media coverage of young people particularly young minority people in london uh was incredibly biased and uh and one-sided so it was it was born out of that moment as an as an opportunity or an effort to try and create a space for young people to talk about themselves in their own terms in ways that didn't succumb to these biases let's talk about the impact of podcasts on journalism you know, I, I run the history behind news. It's, it's not strictly within sort of the confines of journalism, but it is shedding light on current events. Uh, and there are many, many, many podcasts that outright discuss the news. Uh, some even go and report things. Um, how has this changed the news media and the, 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 you know, the discipline of journalism? The biggest change that I hear is I hear now on BBC programs and NPR programs that are ostensibly news programs, they are coming to my ears to sound more like podcasting. Hmm. And what I mean by that is the journalists and the presenters do not rigorously and dogmatically live in this space of neutrality and objectivity and detachment, that they are more transparent, more prepared to frame things in terms of their own perspectives, more aware that there is no such thing as a view from nowhere. And all information is negotiated and contingent and dependent on relationships. So they're more transparent about those relationships, the relationships that they they have with sources. Not all of the time, and and often, uh, you know, the the older, more stoic models of journalism still exist, and I'm glad they exist. But there has been this shift to what I call a, a new new journalism a more human journalism. Um, and I think that is a direct result of podcasting. And I think one of the lovely things about Serial, as we mentioned at Serial, um, is the show that sort of imagined what podcast journalism might be, right? It, they, it was produced by journalists who described themselves as journalists. The producers we interviewed in the book uh, on Serial all described themselves as, as journalists. Um, but 
they were taking a step back from those uh, the the methods that they learned in journalism school and allowing themselves to be more human, allowing themselves to be more honest and more transparent. And I think um, serial is not really about a murder case uh, or a trial or a conviction, rightful conviction or wrongful conviction. It's really an exploration of what podcast journalism can be. So I think any anybody who's interested in a, a history of journalism um, uh, and particularly in answering that question, how does podcasting influence the journalism that we have today? I think you have to begin that conversation by listening to Serial. When you use the words neutrality, objectivity, and detachment, uh, you're certainly referring to the old days of journalism and not even that old, you know, 20 years ago, uh, Peter Jennings uh, and before that, Walter Cronkite. But now, as we look at social media, you have sort of populism, radicalism, and a lot of silos. You know, I may have only 10,000 followers, I being anyone, but all of them love what I say, right? Whether it's about nature or about Mr. Trump. So is the proliferation of podcasts, are they also doing the same thing? Are they further, are they a continuation to populism and radicalism? I think definitely. I think I think uh, the negative aspect or a negative aspect about the growth of podcasting has been a contribution to precisely what you mentioned, that echo chamber, that political silo mentality that too often we all slip into, um, the kind of only listening to things that reaffirm what we already think and already believe and are therefore very easy for us to consume and digest and make us feel good and make us feel superior to people who don't think like us, um, both intellectually and morally. And I think, um, uh, I think, yeah, Podcasting has been a huge conduit for conspiracy theories. Yeah. Um, it's been a huge yeah. conduit for really, really questionable medical advice. Um, you know, relativism, which was when I was in graduate school, you know, a really, really powerful and liberating thing for so many people who were feeling uh, constrained by officially sanctioned sources, um, and kind of, uh, you know, established, uh, um, truisms. Um, but this is know, more than relativism. We've yeah, gone past yeah, exactly, that. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 we've moved beyond where it's, uh, kind of freeing people from feeling oppressed and stifled to something that has really loosened our social fabric in a lot of dangerous ways. You know, we don't have a common reality anymore. Um, you know, we, there, there, there are, I'm in Britain. There are two Britons with two realities. You're in America. There are two Americas with two realities. Um, and, uh, we really need to figure out a way to heal that. Um, and that, Part of the blame for that division, I think, um, you can lay at the feet of podcasting. It's not the main cause, but it is a it is it is a component of that problem. Yeah, is but there's no moderating when it comes to podcasting. You know, there's no platform like Apple or Spotify. Or, or well, actually, I think I'm wrong. Didn't wasn't there some sort of spat, some sort of kerfuffle in Spotify over Joe Rogan? Am I saying that yeah. correctly? Yeah. 
So yeah. uh, what happened was Neil Young, um, because Joe Rogan was, I, I'm just going to say it from my perspective, uh-huh. uh, Joe Rogan was um, perpetuating certain myths around COVID and COVID vaccinations that were dangerous and were causing people to die. And people like Neil Young said, look, Spotify, unless you put a muzzle on Joe Rogan, I'm taking all my music off of Spotify. So Neil Young took his music off of Spotify because Spotify didn't or couldn't or wouldn't yeah. muzzle Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan is a huge cash cow for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are there there's no sort of ethical body in the world of podcasting. Um, any anything, any kind of regulation is really done for reasons for neoliberal reasons you know it's about what what is going to impact our bottom line the most um who can we afford to piss off more neil young or joe rogan right um so you know you make your choice based on who's going to generate more money for you so i i don't know you know um uh and that is really one of the nice things about it, it it is very very it's very, very complex. And it's, there's a lot of tension in the podcast space. It is really liberating. I love the fact that I don't have to answer to anybody. I love the fact that there is no auditing and oversight and and no editor telling me what I have to cut out. Um, at the same time, there's no one stopping people from spouting what Kellyanne Conway famously described as alternative facts right as if they love were real facts um and it's a it's a very very slippery world and i think in a world like that and one of the reasons why i'm so drawn to those empathetic and intimate registers of podcasting i think one of the ways of healing that division is really figuring out how to listen to people well and to try and connect to people well even if you don't agree with the quote unquote facts that they may present they're a human being. And if you could figure out how to kind of connect to them as a human being, then maybe we can begin to have a conversation about bigger things. That means uh, you have to check your emotions and sort of <laughs> tamp down your passions a little bit, right? Um, yeah, probably. How- or or at least be sympathetic to theirs or at least listen to theirs. So, yeah. Know, I mean, we could talk about the January 6th um, uh, insurrection. You know, all of those people there had real grievances, authentic grievances that drove them into that fit of hysteria and violence. The reasons for um, uh, their actions, the reasons why they kind of justified doing what they were doing um, were not real in my view, but their pain was real. And we got to figure out how to, how to listen to their pain and figure out how to address it in some way if we want to move forward as a society. How many podcasts are out there. You, you like that? I sort of switched away from January 6th. <laughs> so how many podcasts? <laughs> yeah, very quickly. How many podcasts are out there? Uh, so um, at last count, I believe there are 75 million, 70, 75, 80 million. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, it sounded like you said 75 million. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, million podcast episodes. 
Um, and I think there are probably about five or six million different shows. So five or six, yeah, five or six million different shows and about 75 million episodes out there. How many in English? Um, most are in English. Uh, it's very, very hard to come up with accurate numbers for these things because there's so many different platforms around the mm -hmm. world yeah there's no kind of single database of all the podcast platforms that exist in all countries um uh around the world um so most of them are in english there's a huge number in spanish um but there are podcasts in every la I, I will go out on a limb and say there's a podcast in every language in the world there are podcasts in latin from the vatican um there are podcasts in esperanto the um the invented international language so uh you know there's there is there is a podcast for every language how many people speak esperanto <laughs> I don't know. If if we if you and I listened <clears throat> to the Esperanto podcast, that would be two more that they <laughs> two more. Maybe after, I should do that. Contrib <laughs> contribute to their program. Um, have podcasts won major broadcasting awards? Kind of like traditional, let's say, like Peabody. Yeah, yeah. So Radio Lab, which is long running my favorite podcast of all time, they uh, won a Peabody. Uh, the Heart, which I mentioned earlier, won the Pre Italia a few years ago. That is the most prestigious award every year in the audio world. Um, uh, there have been lots and lots of uh, prestigious awards won by podcasters. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Let's take a break here. Stay with me and Dr. Spinelli as we get into the perspective. The History Behind News podcast is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Of course, we love your reviews and ratings of our podcast, especially on Apple and Spotify. And remember, don't keep us to yourself. Tell a friend about the History Behind News podcast. Dr. Spinelli, after all this conversation about podcasting, you know, it's natural for me to sort of ask this question. What makes for a good podcast? Wow. Okay. So for me, there are um there are probably three answers. So the first one is one we've talked about a bit, is an awareness of your audience an effort to try and engage with your audience and connect with your audience and use your audience in the production of your podcast in some way. The second one is narrative. So human stories are such a huge part of, um, uh, of the podcasting world. And that's because we, we relate to information as human beings narratively. So there are these splatters of chaos that exist in the world, and we make sense of them by fitting them into story shapes. And the, the hugely influential and um, important comparative philosophy, comparative religion, uh, folklore writer and theorist Joseph Campbell wrote in his 1949 book the hero with a thousand faces that he, he described common elements in the major human stories told across cultures and across the graphic and uh written history of humanity so he found 
similar elements in folk tales and myths from all parts of the world uh, throughout history and kind of assemble them into a, a hero's journey wheel. Um, and that kind of idea of a journey, of a quest, of a narrative, it, it, that kind of idea of a journey or a quest is so important to narrative. We want to we want to hear how these things are going to end. If there's something at stake, if there's a character we can identify with, um, if there are twists that you don't expect, those keep me engaged as a listener. Um, and then this, the this sounds thing, a lot like storytelling, right? It is like storytelling. It's absolutely yeah. like storytelling. Yeah. And then the last thing, and, and this is also something that we mentioned uh, for hosted podcasts, is an understanding of good listening. I'm sorry, um, what did you say? No. <laughs> if you are if you are a good host, you are listening to understand, right? And I think mm-hmm. Radio Lab does this in every episode. And Joe Rogan a lot of the time is a really really good interviewer and he does listen to understand, right? Um and uh and you, you listen to understand. Uh but uh a lot of a lot of Podcasts that, uh, so I'm, I'm going to back up. Um, so podcasts that kind of fall foul of this are podcasts where the host is listening to respond rather than listening to understand. So they have ready and primed a response in their minds before they hear the answer to the last question. So I'm thinking about things like Ben Shapiro and Infowars, where there's not there. There, there's no attempt to grow and develop as as a, a person engaged with another person on a podcast. It's it's much more about um, uh, missives that support a particular preconceived notion or idea. So listening to understand as opposed to listening to respond is a key element in good podcasts. So I think that third element, listening, good listening, really boils down to having a real human conversation. Yes. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, another thing about podcasting um, that you mentioned earlier, uh, you used the word niche. Mm-hmm. Is that where I'm, I'm hesitant to say that that's where podcasts are going because you see hundreds of thousands of podcasts that are just for a very, very narrow audience. Then you see other podcasts that are just so broad that they just commentary about news and what they, they're very, do you see any sort of uh, common thread there? That yeah, I, think, I think the common yes, I think I think there are a lot of niche podcasts, and most podcasts are niche. There are ones that are more uh, have a broader appeal. Um, I think a couple of things differentiate them. Often, the ones, the successful ones with a broader appeal, have a lot of money behind them and have a lot of institutional support behind them. Um, but I think the thing that they they have in common is uh, a really, really good understanding of who their audience is. Clearly defining who your audience is is really, really critical. And you could be. It could be niche. It could be your podcast could be niche. Your podcast could be broad. But unless you have a very clear image of your listener in your mind, you're probably going to fall short. And I I do this exercise with my students when we're making podcasts. So I make podcasts um, uh, every year with my both graduate students and undergraduate students. One of the first things I have them do is I have them create an avatar of their imagined listener. 
and I have them name that person and I have them find a photo of that person on the internet. And I have that, I have them describe who that person is, what they like, where they live, what kind of family they come from, uh, and crucially, what other kinds of media do they consume? And having this kind of awareness of the person, the one-on-one intimate connection you are building in your podcast to that imagined listener, that helps answer a lot of production questions that you have along the way. And it helps make the best podcasts the best podcasts. So what's ahead for podcasting, whether it's the best podcast or just, you know, just the millions that are out there? What do you see the future so, of podcasting? Um, the future of podcasting is, okay, I'm going to back up. Um, the future of podcasting is a bit hazy as I look into my crystal ball. Um, <laughs> Why hazy? What? Well, there's a tremendous amount of energy and innovation happening at this moment that has been happening for the past five or six years. And I see that kind of winding down now as platformization becomes more significant, as people, um, as large platforms dominate more and more of the podcast ecosystem as large platforms like Apple and Spotify come to dominate more of the podcast ecosystem. Um, uh, I think the, the range of quirkiness and innovation is necessarily going to diminish. I also see more experiments with paywalls yeah. coming down the line. Um, but I think fortunately that the anarchy of the wild west of podcasting is never going to go away. Um, uh, it perhaps will become a little bit harder to find. Uh, but I think that energy is always going to be there under the surface. So do you think that free podcasts that appeal to a broader audience, let me just, I just want to make sure that I uh, understand this have to be, backed up um i mean supported by an institution of some sort big money is that it because you don't have a tribe to begin with is that is that where you're going no i don't think so i think i think you can definitely and in fact historically the best podcasts have all been have all started as passion projects that were very small and uh and very good and connected in very strong ways with particular audiences um so I don't think I don't think that's I don't think we're headed to a world where you need to be a part of NYC Studios or um, Spotify, Gimlet Media, or the BBC to to produce a good podcast. Um, but I think in terms of we as listeners and the podcasts that are going to pop up on our feeds and are going to be easier for us to find and to be pushed for us in the lists of the best podcasts of the year, those are going to be more and more dominated yeah. by podcasts that are produced by media corporations. If you wanted our audience to remember just one point about podcasting after everything we've talked about, what would that be? Just one point. It would be that podcasts are not about a distribution technology. They're not even about sound. They are about a set of relationships. Oh, that's wonderful. 
Dr. Spinelli, thank you so much for educating me and our listeners. And to our listeners, if you know of any history that could provide more perspective from the past on this subject, please share it with us and tell us what's your perspective. Thank you so very much. You are very welcome. Thank so, you for having me, Adele. It was been a, it's been a real pleasure. The opinions and statements of our guests are their own. We neither agree nor disagree with them. We're only interested in the perspective they provide through history. At History Behind News, we're honored that our guests share their expertise with us, most of which are based on years of scholarship and research, and we provide links to their projects and publications for your benefit to review them if you wish. Otherwise, we're not affiliated with our guests. We just think they teach us pretty cool history, the history behind our news. Also, unless we explicitly inform you, we're not affiliated with any institutions, including Amazon, for which book links are shared here from time to time for your convenience. Finally, as a reminder, we don't do news here at History Behind News, we peel the news for the history behind it. And our mission is not to provide a complete account and analysis of the past, rather is to highlight some issues and incidents in our history that may poke and prod your discerning minds into seeking some perspective for our news. And if you disagree with our take on history, well then, it means we've succeeded in getting you to think about the history behind news. And of course, share your thoughts with me by leaving your comments on Twitter or sending an email to Adele at historybehindnews.com. I love to hear from you. I love to learn from you. Until next time, this is Adele with History Behind News, a history podcast for our news.